Welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women-identified directors, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Ariel, and you're probably wondering why you're hearing my voice at the top of the show instead of Rachel's, but that is because our lovely Rachel has taken a very much-needed vacation. Thank goodness, finally. It took a lot of convincing, but she did it. (laughs) This is good because we want her to do this for a long time. Exactly. We want it to be sustainable. We want to avoid burnout. (laughs) (laughs) So you're hearing the voices right now of Matilda and Caitlin, who are my very special guests, who are going to help me fill in Rachel's shoes while she's gone. So Matilda, you probably know as one of my co-hosts on The Zombie Girls, but if you're a regular listener of More Deadly, you probably also recognize her from the time she filled in for me and covered American Psycho, and the time that she joined Rachel and I to review all of those Hulu Halloween short films. Oh, that's right. That was so fun. Yeah. I can't wait for those again this year. I know. Me too. Me too. And the other voice, of course, is the lovely Caitlin Grant, who is the host of Plug It Up, Films at First Sight, and is one of the hosts on Bloody Good Horror. And she's been on the show twice before to cover Julia DeCornow's amazing films, Raw and Titane, (laughs) or Titane, or whatever. (laughs) It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both so much for joining me for this movie. We're going to be reviewing Shapeless today, directed by Samantha Aldana. And when Matilda picked this movie, I was a little bit nervous because it's talking about eating disorders, and it's not a topic that I have a ton of experience with or knowledge in. So I was very, very happy that Matilda is on the show and that Caitlin agreed to join us because, Caitlin, you work in eating disorder recovery and treatment, right? I do, yeah. I've worked for various eating disorder treatment facilities for the last six years or so and do a lot of uh, outreach, education, and advocacy as well. So it's an issue very close to my heart. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you're going to bring that perspective. And I know, Matilda, you have experience in this as well. And if people don't know, she is a therapist too. I am. Yeah. My primary focus as a therapist is trauma. Although um, I have seen, uh, because I see traumatized folks, I see a lot of people who have some eating disorder struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. No, that makes so much sense. Well, I am so glad you both are here. This will make this topic a lot easier and more informative, I'm sure. So normally this is the part of the show where Rachel asks me how I'm doing and makes me tell her weird stories about things that have (laughs) happened to me. (laughs) Um, I have not been home a lot lately, so I have not experienced a lot of weird neighborhood shenanigans. For people who don't know, if you are friends with Ariel for long enough, you will start to get really exciting sex spam from all the, you know, non-privacy that happens in the world. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) I finally got some good sex spam this week. Oh, yeah, that's right. What was it again? It was about squirting, and it said something about, like, <laughs> like uh, turmeric and COVID-19. Right. Squirting is having a moment. That's how it happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. That's so funny. I mean, wouldn't that just be the way, though, that I'm some sort of vector? 
but that only other people have really interesting sex lives and not me. Right. You're like the, you're like the 5G tower. Of yeah. Sex. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> I need I'm to sorry. I need to have something else exciting happen in my life to like overshadow these other things. Right. You want to be like the 5G tower of banana bread. Or yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> or like cookies, banana scratch bread, off winning general. scratch off tickets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I could be a lucky charm. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. So before we get started talking about this movie, I'm going to give you our spoiler policy. For those of you who haven't listened to the show before, what's going to happen is first, Matilda is going to do me a favor and give us some information about the director and the making of Shapeless. And then the three of us are going to talk about the movie in pretty general terms, just really quickly letting you know whether this is something worth checking out and what we liked or didn't like. And then we'll get into full spoilers, at which point we're going to tell you about the entire movie. So Matilda, can you tell us a little bit about Samantha Aldana? Yes. And in fact, I can tell you, I started to do this research and now I need to tell you a lot of it about Samantha Aldana and also about the lead actor and co-writer of this movie, Kelly Murtaugh. Oh, okay. And so if there is stuff in here that's too much, you just... Yeah, no, I don't know, go you for can it. like play me off. Like we, love in show or... <laughs> we love in-depth research. Go for it. <laughs> so both director Samantha Aldana and the lead actor in this movie, and who is also the co-writer, Kelly Murtaugh, are both artists out of New Orleans. Oh, okay. That makes um, sense. So I'll give you each their, I'm going to give you their little bios, and then I'm going to tell you more about the making of this movie. Great. So Samantha Aldana is a director and writer based in New Orleans, Louisiana. She has been drawn to tell stories containing magic, lore, and otherworldliness since she started putting her stories on screen when she was 12 years old. What? That's Damn. so young. Yeah. Her work is heavily influenced by the storytelling traditions of her multicultural upbringing in the American South and the Caribbean. And she's directed several award-winning short films, including The Melancholy Man and the children's film C. And she's currently in production on a longer film called These Wild Things. Oh, okay. Kelly Murtaugh, who's the, the lead in this movie, is a mom, also a Louisiana native, and an award-winning actress, writer, producer, singer, and children's book author. What? That's so cool. Who works yeah. in <laughs> film, television, <laughs> and theater. I know. Kelly is the founder of Soul Star Space, which is an online spiritual safe space for mystic mindfulness and healing. Oh, interesting. And she also authored the children's book Zoo Crew, which was illustrated by Samantha Aldana, who also directed this movie. <laughs> what? <Wow>. <laughs> They're so multi-talented. Yes. I don't know which one was first. I couldn't quite figure that out, but... Mm -hmm. In addition to working on this movie together, they also wrote this adorable alphabet book. Aww. That's And it's Zoo Crew, K-R-E-W-E, like a New Orleans. So there's oh, like gotcha. alligators oh. making the undoing. Okay. And the crawfish is, or the crab is toasting the crawfish or whatever. <laughs> that's cute. The rhino is making the red beans. That's what I remember. <laughs> cute. She also works with the organization Project Heal, which helps to break down systemic healthcare and financial barriers to eating wow. disorder treatment. I've wow. worked with Project Heal uh, over the years. They do oh, good yeah? work. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I know. And I know there, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this. There are a lot of barriers sometimes yes. to people getting treatment. So the way this came about is that Kelly Murtaugh has been working on this movie for over 10 years. 
And it is based on her own experience of losing her voice to bulimia in her early 20s. Oh, wow. So she reports her voice was the thing she'd always counted on for power and joy. And the loss of this and being diagnosed with vocal cords that were severely damaged and in danger of rupturing was something that drove her further into her eating disorder, actually. And she ultimately stopped listening to music. Oh, that's so sad. Like she had been so in love with music, but it was too painful to listen to if she couldn't sing along. So she ultimately music went out of her life and she ultimately struggled with active bulimia for several more years before she went to treatment in her later 20s, where she started to conceive of an idea about shapeless. Oh, wow. It makes so much sense that it comes from such a personal place. I think you can really tell that when you're watching it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was inspired to start writing following the birth of her daughter, who's now four years old. And one of her co-producers and biggest cheerleaders for the project is Bobby Gilchrist, who also plays the bass player or musical collaborator in the film. Oscar, I think. Is her ex-partner and her co-parent of her daughter. Okay, gotcha. Very cool. Yeah, so there's this little trusted circle that clearly started to collaborate on this movie. She starts writing it. She starts writing the first draft of this movie in her daughter's first year of life because she's looking down at her daughter and thinking, how am I going to help her not go through the same thing I went through? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And she's terrified. So she starts writing. And the first draft of this catches the attention of Samantha Aldana, who signs on. And they have a lot of talks about Murtaugh's experience. She also, at that point, said, I can't, I need a co-writer. So she had a co-writer on the project at that point named Bryce Parsons Twenson, who she describes as very curious and very kind in the writing process. So she talks about the process of being compelled to put something into the world that was so filled with shame Mm. and self-loathing for her, but that the sweet process she had with all of these different co-collaborators on this movie was very helpful, regardless of whether they had firsthand eating disorder experience or not. Some of them did, some of them didn't. That's nice to hear because I feel like sometimes creative people put themselves through an experience to show it to the world, but it damages them. It's nice to know that she didn't have that experience. No, in fact, this was the first time she had been singing again. Wow. That's awesome. Was in the making of this. And so she talked about the process of singing and working with like a vocal coach and a vocal therapist in the process, got her back into her body, letting herself sing badly at times was really Mm -hmm. therapeutic and just like let her be in her body again. So she says that she hopes that Shapeless allows someone who struggles to say that that's what it feels like. Wow. The filming appears to have mostly been complete before COVID because Aldana was doing some like director's cut showings and discussions in early, early 2020. Okay. But it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2021. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's such great information. Thank you, Matilda. You're welcome. Okay. Well, thank you for doing that. So let's get into our non-spoiler review. So Caitlin, why don't you start? What did you think of this movie? I really enjoyed it. I think it's very accurate. Um, which makes sense given the, the yeah. co-writer's history with bulimia, but very accurate depiction of of what I understand bulimia to be like, given my experience in the field. And it's hard to watch at points <laughs> um, just because you really feel for the character and just because I do feel like I have a, a peek inside that life and have dealt with some disordered eating of my own and, mm-hmm. you know, hit home for me quite a bit. Um, So it was hard to watch in a few points, but it was really impactful. I liked that it was sort of this, it feels more like a character study 
than yeah. anything else. We get so much about, you know, not necessarily about her past. Like we don't, we don't know if there is some trauma that she's working through that may have incited this. We don't know what her history with it is, but we're with her in the moments that she's struggling. And it's really interesting to get a look at what that feels like for her because we do, we see literally what's happening to her. And also we see a visual representation of what she feels like. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I really liked this. Although enjoying feels like a hard word for me to yeah. use. Because yeah. <laughs> I also... It was a blast. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I will say that if any listeners have personal experience with eating disorders, and particularly bulimia or kind of restrictive eating bulimia cycles, this movie is just very accurate and tough. Right. Mm -hmm. I also have some personal experience with this. And I think that when I picked this movie and was like saying to Ariel, why don't we try this one? I think that I was expecting something where the eating disorder content was a little more metaphorical or a little more latent. And this yeah. is not latent content. So just mm -hmm. know that going in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good warning for yourself. But I actually thought it was very effective. And one of the things I really loved is, like Caitlin, you were saying, it's a character study where the eating disorder and the fact that she's in the grip of this eating disorder is one of the things about her. But you also see how it functions relationally and yeah. how it functions for her to kind of manage feelings of being overwhelmed about being close to people. Yeah. And about being looked at, that kind of very mixed experience of being a performer. Right. Right. Having your body and having your face looked at a lot. So I really appreciated the way that this that this handled this. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. I think that this was a hard one to watch. Yeah. It's such an intimate portrait of what this woman is going through and her eating disorder. And I don't think when I went into it, I expected quite that much detail to mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And it's intense and it made me feel intensely uncomfortable and anxious at different points throughout the movie. I don't have a lot of experience with eating disorders. I do have a lot of experience with anxiety and it definitely reminded me of those feelings and yeah. made me feel them myself. And so on the one hand, I think that that means that the director did a pretty great job and the writer of making a movie that's very effective at putting you in this woman's headspace. On the other hand, it makes it a little bit grueling to get through. So I sort of have a, a little bit of a mixed feeling for that, you know, about it. But I also think that there's a lot of interesting body horror in this that's used in a way that I didn't quite expect. And so that was really cool. And I also think that you can see this director kind of finding their own voice as a creative person as you're watching this movie because they use so many interesting kind of camera angles and, you know, blurriness and mirrors mm -hmm. and repeated images and things like that to kind of convey what's going on with the character. So all of that I think was really interesting and makes me curious to see what Samantha Aldana is going to do next because she clearly has like a very strong voice. But if I'm honest, this is probably a movie I will never watch again. <laughs> Just because I'm not yeah. sure that I would ever want to relive that experience, you know? It's also one that I am would be very cautious about. Matilda, you touched on this, but um, 
for folks that have either their own personal experience or have a loved one who has this yeah. experience, I think it could be a really yes. difficult watch and could possibly, I don't want to say lead to a relapse or anything like that, but I, I just would be very cautious with it because it is explicit, we'll say, um, yeah, right. with, the, with the purging scenes and with, and even with the disordered thought patterns, like those are pretty clear and, you know, just something to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. agree. I could definitely see it being very difficult if it's something you've been through yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that this movie is really effective at is kind of showing the emotional isolation of this character with yeah. her bulimia. And so watching it could kind of activate that for people. I think especially if you're watching it alone. Yeah. It might be mm -hmm. a watch with a friend <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Or... Yeah, have a, um, I don't know how to say that, watch this in a therapeutic setting, but maybe with the support of someone who could, you know, process it with you afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. Have your therapist on speed dial. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even I could have used that, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I did two shifts. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's a particular scene that we'll get to later where I actually had to turn the movie off and walk away for 10 minutes mm. and then come back because it was mm. just like, I was that uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I think what we're saying is that this movie has a lot going for it. It's really smart and there's a lot of beauty to the way it was made, but it's a hard watch. So just judge for yourself whether that's an experience that you're prepared to go through. And if you want to find it, you can rent it on Amazon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Or Apple. I think. Is the yeah. Yeah. I think it. most yeah. places where you rent VOD movies, you can probably find mm -hmm. it. All right, so let's get into the spoiler zone, as Rachel likes to call it. <laughs> this is the part where she usually vamps and says something like really funny and charming about how you should, you know, get out your phone and like pause it if you need <laughs> time to go away and watch the movie and come on back. <laughs> but I don't know how to do that. So we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna pretend that was me vamping and we're gonna move on now <laughs> to our spoiler Excellent. section. Effective. And, I like it. <laughs> And at this point, we're going to talk about all of the movie. So again, if that's something that would bother you, go watch the movie and come back. All right. So this movie, Shapeless, is about a woman named Ivy. She is a lounge singer in New Orleans who is struggling with an eating disorder. So this movie is difficult to synopsize because it's much more like Caitlin was saying, sort of a character study and a mood piece. And so there aren't a ton of plot beats to go through. But essentially, she is trying to make this career happen at the same time as she is struggling with this eating disorder. And the movie basically goes through these different points at which she's, you know, working, trying to be a lounge singer, working at, you know, a wedding, and then going through periods where we're seeing her binging and purging and doing body checks and, and different things having to do with her eating disorder and how that sort of happens and how her relationships kind of start to deteriorate as we go through the movie. And honestly, that's basically the entire plot of the, of the movie. <laughs> so with that being said, let's get into spoilers. First, I want to talk about the things you liked about this movie. So um, Matilda, why don't you start? So like I said, I think this movie is incredibly effective in showing isolation. And mm -hmm. I think the choice to show the dysmorphia 
Mm -hmm. of being in an eating disorder experience through kind of distorted reflection and some body, some body horror directly related to the eating disorder and some more fantastical. Right. Is a really interesting way to show that you are having an experience of your body that other people are not having. You're having this kind of more grotesque experience or, or grotesque experience of your body that may or may not be translating to other people. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that you're you're right in the way that it's filmed makes that really clear that, you know, what she's seeing isn't what everybody else is seeing. And also when the image is sort of almost kaleidoscoped, you know, where you're seeing yeah. it multiple times or whatever, this sort of fractured idea that her like her internal self is being fractured as this is happening. I just think it's really kind of a beautiful way to show that. And I also really liked that the way that it's filmed, a lot of times Ivy, we see her entire face throughout most of the movie. I mean, this movie is about Ivy. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, I don't know if you guys notice this, but other people's faces are either out of frame or half cut off or they're only in profile or they're blurred by something. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting as a way to show us that like what's happening to her psychologically is the focus of this movie. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because when you are deprived of nutrition, whether that's certain mm -hmm. minerals, certain yes. vitamins, you're cognitively compromised. Right. And it, you do get very foggy and that can look like, it can truly visually feel like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I kind of loved is that when I say this kind of grotesque part, it's not just literally like what someone looks like but the eating disorders are brutal to bodies yeah. right and so she's having this experience with her vocal cords and like having this experience with her body that she can't find what she can usually find right in her voice and she's all alone with that experience and having to kind of cover it in real time yeah i i thought the the body checking stuff for me was really hard to watch just the detail with which she was counting vertebrae and feeling yeah. different parts of her body and pulling it fat. And, you know, like I said before, I don't, I don't really have personal experience with an eating disorder, but when my anxiety is at its worst, I often feel very disconnected from my own body and feel like things have changed even when they haven't, you know, like logically I know that they haven't, but my, but I think that they have because of how anxious I'm feeling. Right. And so that that I felt on a very deep level. It's so detailed and you understand so clearly the way that it's filmed and sort of the expressions on her face, how hard this is. But she literally can't stop. Right. Like it's it's not a controlled thing at all that she's doing this. That w It was difficult. The somatic things around eating disorders in general mm -hmm. are really um, interesting, but obviously challenging for the person suffering. Yeah. The body checking was super accurate. Um, mm -hmm. the, the wrist one in particular is something oh, that uh -huh. I see patients do a lot, like how many times they can move their, um, you know, sort of right. circumference. Is that the word? <laughs> circumference yeah, yeah. Of their, yeah. Of their <laughs> hand span up their wrist, um, the counting of the ribs, the, the pinching of the body fat, all of, and, and even just looking in the mirror constantly right. and touching, like all that body checking is very accurate, very reflective of what an eating disorder can look like sometimes. But what's interesting about the somatic stuff is that although she's very aware of her body and mm -hmm. can feel like the body checking stuff, we can obviously see that she feels that it's grotesque with the representation of kind of the growths and disfigurement that she's kind of projecting onto herself with this dysmorphia. 
But what's interesting is that although you do feel in your body quite a bit with an eating disorder, there's also a pretty hard rejection of not wanting to feel in your body whatsoever. Yeah. Um, that gotcha. bind-body connection where it's like, I don't want to feel in my body. Yeah. One thing that we do a lot uh, in treatment is somatic experiencing and being present in our bodies, which is extremely uncomfortable for most people, but especially folks with eating disorders. I think it was really interesting that a lot of times she seems a little disconnected. Maybe Mm -hmm. she's like singing to herself when she's at the laundromat and just kind of existing in her mind more than in her body, which a lot of us do. But then when she's in her body is when she's active in her eating disorder, actively purging or actively binging. Yeah. Yeah. I also was really struck by the parallel of the wrist checking in particular with the like one, two, three, four, and oh, the musical yes. beat of like a one, a two, a three, oh. a four, and the intro. Oh, I didn't put that together. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. I yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, just the sheer detail of what they show in this movie. I mean, even so much as that whole scene where she has, I think it's like a power bar or something, mm-hmm. and she's cutting pieces off of it, and you can yeah. watch her. You know, she's not saying anything, obviously. It's just her alone. But you can watch her kind of make the decision that she's only going to eat this little bit of it and mm-hmm. then she's going to put it away. But then she comes back to get more and more. And it's so hard to watch as she continues to obviously internally probably berate herself about not wanting to eat more but not being able to stop herself. It's such a detailed picture of what it would be like to go through that. Yeah. And it's such a painful thing to watch that you can see she's having a fight. She's going to lose. Right. Right. Well, and I I appreciate that they show that Mm -hmm. it's, it's really painful because that's a clearly, I mean, a Nutrigrain bar or whatever it is, is is meant to be consumed at once. You know, it's not right. um, It's very disordered to cut it up and put it in a Tupperware. Like that is, that's not, normalized eating behavior. Mm -hmm. But what I like is that she very clearly has bulimia, which I'd like to talk a little bit more about later, sort of the ins and outs of bulimia. But she very clearly has bulimia because we see her binge and purge. But some of her binges are what I would call an objective binge, like when she uses a serving bowl to eat the cereal. Right. But Mm -hmm. some of them are subjective. Sometimes she's just eating the way a person needs to eat. And other times she's restricting, which is more characteristic of anorexia. But it's also common in folks with binge eating disorder and bulimia who will go for periods restricting, like when she tells the, I think it's like a producer who's looking to scout, you know, new talent. And he's like, oh, would you like anything? And she says, no, I just ate. And we can Mm -hmm. hear her stomach grumbling because we know she has it. So I like that, although it's not like we're laying out a primer for this is what the DSM says about eating disorders (laughs) in each one, we do get sort of... This nuance that, you know, bulimia isn't just uh, binging and then purging. And there are lots of types of bulimia that we can talk about in a little bit, but that she also has some restrictions. She also has body checking. She also has like a whole lot of other things going on that's not just the after school special understanding of what bulimia is. Right, which is just discontrol. I feel like in the cinematic understanding of bulimia, it's just discontrol as opposed Mm -hmm. to this kind of weaving back and forth between Mm -hmm. control and discontrol and we see that with her sexuality too Um, yes you know she's got some impulsivity stuff going on perhaps at least in Mm -hmm. that one scene with oscar the bass player and it kind of seemed like it had maybe happened before too yeah he was talking about it yeah so i appreciate that they included that too so that it wasn't 
you know, one thing that a lot of providers and patients and people in recovery say is that it's about the food and it's not about the food. Like yeah. It's, it's yeah. both. Uh-huh. And I appreciate that they show yes. uh, that it's it's a lot of things. It's the food and it's not the food. It's all of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and it really shows you the gritty I don't know if that's maybe the right word, but like the gritty reality of what she's going through too, where I feel like a lot of movies cut away from that stuff and they don't show it. But I mean, here, Mm -hmm. not only are you seeing her go through these periods of binging and restricting and purging, but I mean, there's even a scene where she throws up so much that it clogs her toilet and you have to watch her pull stuff out of the toilet. Like that's Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. real and intense, you know, this picture is of her. It's unflinching. And yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect word. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders can be, I mean, very gross to the person experiencing them, to the person trying sure. to help another person. Uh-huh. I mean, I I don't want to share anybody's story, but suffice to say, that's not uncommon. And that's certainly yeah. not, not one of the only times I've seen someone have to handle what they've purged. It's, it's uh, you know, it's pretty reflective. And I also appreciate that she's so uh, triggered by the sounds and actions of other people eating. I was going to ask if you would talk about this a little bit. Yeah. About like her disgust at other people's more. It's like disgust and overwhelm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. she clearly can't participate. And that's where the isolation, Matilda, like you were saying, comes in. A lot of folks with eating disorders feel like they can't eat around other people. Uh, because of lack of control or too much control or you know any number of reasons but she is always eating in isolation because she can't eat normally in front of others and even being around others who are eating drinking i mean she even doesn't she cover her mouth at one point when she's talking to the guy who gives her her card she's like very like physically needs to shield herself from the eating stuff happening around her well she also had looked in the mirror behind the bar and thought that like her face had been distorted oh okay i think in that scene so i think she was trying to cover what was something emerging on her cheek yeah gotcha gotcha yeah but yeah and she hides when she eats all the time i mean it's clear that she feels a lot of shame around it too. Like that grocery shopping scene. Oh, I mean, that was hard for a couple of reasons. One is the checkout person who makes that comment to her. I can't remember exactly what she says, but essentially like you're so lucky. You're one of the lucky ones. Yeah, exactly. Which is just Mm. awful. And like (laughs) strangers should maybe like not comment on your food choices. Unless perhaps if you're at Trader Joe's and the checkout person compliments me on my choices, I always appreciate that. But (laughs) otherwise, like stay out of my business. Um, But it's very awkward. I hate when people say shit like that. And it's so ingrained in our culture to like praise like, oh, that's so cool that you can stay so thin. But it's like, oh, my God, like you don't know what someone's dealing with. And even if she wasn't, shut the fuck up. Right. No one needs your opinion. Like she says, like everything's covered in chocolate these days, isn't it? And it's just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What are you talking about? But also chocolate's amazing. So let us cover stuff in it. (laughs) I have to say as much as that moment in the checkout was Mm -hmm. pure cringe, it was one of my favorite moments. Yeah. In this movie, because it actually showed how culturally supported yes some of these myths are and how totally not weird it is that someone has arrived at this as a place to manage feelings 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It it makes a whole lot of sense. I thought about it later with the body horror when she has those kind of folds opening on her body Mm. with eyes uh in them. Yes. There's this kind of surveillance thing, like all these eyes popping out of her. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's self-surveillance and other surveillance that I thought was a really great image. Yeah. That her body is being watched constantly by herself and by other people. Yes. Yeah. Which is something that it's come up before in treatment, this sort of like, and we've had to address it in a a realistic way where patients have said, you know, I don't want to go in a bathing suit somewhere because I feel like everyone's looking at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the correct yeah. answer or the, I guess the appropriate response rather to that isn't, oh, no, they're not. It's that, yeah, sometimes they are. But like what we do, how we process and respond to p- other people looking at us, possibly judging us is is more where we need to fall in. Because mm-hmm. um, immediately being like, oh, they're not looking at you. It's like, well, sometimes they are, <laughs> you right. know, and learning to cope with the eyes on you. Right. And sometimes that person is a family member. Very much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, later in that scene where she goes back out into the parking lot and sitting in her car, it's another example where she clearly feels really uncomfortable and shameful about her eating habits because she's eating these cookies and, you know, obviously she's eating them, you know, really rapidly, but Mm -hmm. she hides. She like ducks down when somebody comes out because she doesn't want anybody to witness it. It's Mm -hmm. it's really sad. It's hard to also watch. very accurate. A lot of binges for folks, especially mm-hmm. if they don't live alone, a lot of binges happen in the car. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Because yeah. it's it's like a shame thing and you want to be isolated and especially if sense. you can't like bring that stuff home. Right. Um, oh, gotcha. You know, yeah, it's super private, just can, you and your car. Yeah. 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 Makes total sense. Oof. Yeah. It it all was just very, very accurate, I, I would say. It just even like the sucking on cough drops, like we, I've seen folks oh, that, mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is because maybe her, I mean, her esophagus is very damaged and so are her vocal cords, which is a real thing. Uh, Barrett's esophagus is what a lot of patients with okay. bulimia by purging get yep. where your esophagus is, uh, it starts going the wrong way, essentially, acid starts coming up. Mm-hmm. We also get a lot of dentists that are like, hey, your teeth are getting really messed up, your gums are getting really messed up. So everything felt very accurate, including like, I don't know, just the way that she's running her fingers over herself, the way that she's looking at food, the scene with the wedding cake had me like gripping a stress ball. Yeah. So that is that is the scene that I was talking about where I walked away because the scene where she's having where she's struggling to sing. And you can see sort of the heartbreak, but also she doesn't want to admit that that's what's actually happening. And her, you know, her friends and bandmates are having to pull Mm. her away. That was hard enough to watch. That was crushing. But then watching her look at that cake, the second she started looking at it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, God, I know what's going to happen. And it was it caused such intense feelings of anxiety and just being uncomfortable that I literally turned the movie off and walked Mm. away for 10 minutes before coming back. I'm like, okay. I can do this. And they don't even show, you know, a lot of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the scene is is not that long and drawn out, but it's so uncomfortable. Just her being beside it and yes. knowing what we do about the mm-hmm. character and knowing what what it's like for her to be around food. It's like you feel for her, you feel intense oh, yeah. because it's it's a wedding. <laughs> like yeah. there's so much there's already so much tension and pressure. The bride and groom are already mad. Like it's <laughs> right. it's a very right. well 
it's just a really well directed scene that I was like, oh my God, this is so yeah. stressful. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's so stressful because it's so heartbreaking to watch her go through that. Yeah. yeah, but then you're also thinking about the ramifications for the wedding too. It's just like, it's yeah. too much. It's very stressful. Scene. Yes. And, yeah. and you can watch her kind of sublimate an emotional experience into that's a really good a point binge a couple of times in this yeah. movie in that one and then also when oscar wants to make out with her when she locks herself in the bathroom yeah she like finds his nutrigrain bars and locks herself in the bathroom with them right yeah. and then it's like can you go get my thing upstairs or just to buy herself some time to calm down yeah yeah i mean and then i think um one of the ones that also struck me is she binges after I think the character's name is Addie, the other singer that kind yeah. of steps in. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And that's that's really, it's tough. I mean, those are big emotions to deal with, like the jealousy, the insecurity, the anxiety that she's feeling that, that all of us feel at different points. But since we know that bulimia and binging and purging is how she manages those big feelings, it's just so you know, daunting feeling like, oh no, <laughs> like we know what's going to happen. Right. This is really rough. And, yeah. and watching it play out, it's not just that we know it's going to happen. We we know we're going to watch it happen too, which is part of why this movie is so difficult, I think. And not, right. not in a critical way, but just it's difficult. Yeah. The content exactly is difficult yeah. to get there because you're, you're with her the whole time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, that scene with the doctor too was really difficult oh, to watch God. where, <laughs> You know, the, the doctor's kind of sort of tiptoeing around mm -hmm. what's going on and trying to get Ivy to talk about it. And you can just see in Ivy's face how she's breaking down and she's so emotional and so upset about it. But she still cannot bring herself to tell the doctor what's happening. And I will say that doctor is more sensitive and knows more about eating disorders than most doctors that I've worked with. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's deeply upsetting. But Are they usually really just overly awful. blunt? or awful. Okay. No, they're, awful. Uh, they just are very ignorant about it. And it's not their fault. They don't get education on it. That's true. Yeah, that's part of my job really is sucks. to be like, hey, here are some things to check for and to say and especially not say. Right. But I, I appreciate that the doctor... It's a hard line to hear, but when she says, I'm going to ask you again, do mm -hmm. you suffer from acid reflux? And it's just like, oh, God. And she's just, the yeah, camera's just crumbles. lingering on her face and she's crying. Yeah. It's just so much. And that was Murtaugh's actual experience at really? like 21, 22. Yeah. Wow. That was what the doctor actually asked, although he was smiling. Oh. She says. Mm. And there's part of me that's like, the doctor is looking in your throat, right? You can't tell me there aren't also There's, other signs. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there are very visible signs. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have a friend who's a dentist and he and I have talked a lot over the years about sort of what he can mm -hmm. see on his end of things. And it, it does take a while for the acid to erode, especially your gums and teeth. But it's it's not uh, insignificant and unnoticeable. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are afraid in the medical setting, in any setting, to address that or they think that, oh, I guess they're doing it, but don't take it as seriously as they should. Right. Yeah. Right. So kudos to this doctor in the movie. Yeah. Yes. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Because, you know, I mean, doctors are often so, I mean, there are great doctors out there, obviously, but there are a lot of doctors who are so judgmental and so weird around food and weight too, mm -hmm. that I can imagine if you had an eating disorder going in to try to 
seek some kind of help or guidance would be really hard and very intimidating and that you're likely to not get a warm reception, you know? Well, also, if you live in a larger body and have a oh. eating disorder, it's yes. crazy. This was going right. to be my yeah. soapbox. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've worked in treatment. I said six years. It's actually been seven years now. Mm-hmm. And I will say that most, I don't want to say most, I, I'm like now thinking about what does the majority mean? What are percentages? But like <laughs> uh, many patients that are seeking treatment for eating disorders and people that are undiagnosed and living with it live in larger bodies whether they have yes. atypical anorexia, that they're at a higher weight, mm-hmm. whether they have bulimia, whether they have binge eating disorder, whether they have ARFID. There are a lot of people that can be at a higher weight with any eating disorder, not just binge eating disorder, and be in a lot of medical danger. But when you're in a larger body, a lot of times they're just happy for you that you're trying to lose weight, regardless right. of if that's in a an extremely Ugh. dangerous and life threatening way. And it's just as dangerous. It's there. There's that saying, right? Like we prescribe to fat people the same things that we diagnose in thin people. Exactly. Right. That was going to be my my soapbox. About yeah, this. go so, for it. Get on your Caitlin soapbox. Is, <laughs> you know, that was my experience with an eating disorder was having it an eating disorder in a fat body. And so mm-hmm. being seen as successful. Yeah. You're a success story when, when you have an eating disorder. Oh, wow. Uh, or or wow. on, I should say, on my way to successful. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, watching this movie, I was very aware that, for instance, the checkout scene would have gone very differently for me. Yeah. Like buying point. a large quantity of, of high calorie food, right? I now currently am involved with a fat dance group. That I co-direct, and once a year we have a fundraiser that's a chocolate tasting. Yes, and so mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah, Ariel's been, and yeah. so <laughs> once a year, part of my job is to go buy all the chocolate, for the chocolate tasting, oh, okay, gotcha. and to uh-huh. like drive a shopping cart full of chocolate up to the Trader Joe's register. <laughs> and every year I'm like, how's it going to go? You know, now yeah. I'm pretty bulletproof. So now I'm pretty like, this is fat performance art. I dare you to say <laughs> it. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But I do really think that a lot of fat people have the experience of one, not seeking eating disorder treatment because you don't identify yourself as having an eating disorder or you or just you're not believe you're enough. bad at it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Or being disbelieved or minimized by providers. And if you present to a provider that says, we'll worry about that when you're thin, or I don't think you really need to be here. Like, look at these other people that need to be here. Please find another provider. (laughs) Or even like, your labs look fine. And it's like, no, Mm, they probably don't. But even if they do, they're still very dangerous to engage in those behaviors and the thought patterns. Because Eating disorders are the second highest, um, are the mental illnesses with the second highest comorbidity. It used to be the highest, but it was surpassed by opioid use disorders. But it's like, I think people think about folks with an eating disorder starving to death, Mm -hmm. like with anorexia, just restricting to that point. And there are, I mean, your body does shut down when it's starving, but you can be nutritionally deficit and starving in larger bodies. And you can't, the risk of suicidality is so high. Yes. And I think that like that comes, I mean, those comments, like the, the woman at the grocery store, the checkout lady, I was just like, oh my God, stop. Like, even if you're not thinking that you're going to harm them physically, the effects of what you're saying mentally can be extremely dangerous. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that was scene was so good because the message was like, Congl- congratulations, you're winning. Yeah. Right. You're winning right. this that's thing really that's true. actually torturous for you. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm really glad you both are talking about this and brought this up because so much of the media that we see around eating disorders is all like you were saying about people starving to death mm-hmm. or, or, you know, getting so thin that doctors become or family become concerned. So it's really, it's really interesting and good to hear you talking about the other side of that. Yeah. There's a great yeah. podcast that I wanted to recommend. And Caitlin, you can probably add to this there's an episode of the maintenance phase podcast i love maintenance on on having an eating disorder in a larger body with aaron harrop who's a researcher out of i think colorado is that right whose research is on atypical anorexia and experiences Mm -hmm. of people who are like quite orthostatic in a larger body or yeah uh, but who are very restrictive in a larger body she also talks about people present who are larger bodied and restrictive presenting for eating disorder treatment and being diagnosed with binge eating disorder even though that's not Mm. oh wow yeah that's awful yeah that's really terrible you know it's it's really i think it's hard for anyone to seek treatment for anything like i'm gonna go get a covid test tomorrow and a strep strep throat test and i don't want to go for that yeah but like sure. to seek you know help for something that's so sensitive and so shameful for a lot of people is so hard and i uh, part of what i do is educate community members specifically medical providers on eating disorders mm-hmm. and every once in a while i'll go to like a primary care office or a pediatric office and i'll talk about eating disorders. And it's already sometimes awkward because I do live in a larger body. And I think that sometimes that makes them have questions. <laughs> like, oh, but one thing that I hear so often from from nurses, from doctors, from all kinds of medical providers, like the first thing they say is like, oh, I wish I had an eating disorder. Yep. And it's like, I, every, I think it's 58 minutes now, someone dies from their eating disorder in the US. We're at 51 minutes in our recording. So I mean, when you think about that, you know, it's really significant. And I want to say that like in the time that I spend with you, someone will have died from their eating disorder. Like, no, you don't want an eating disorder. Right. Yeah. Don't make light of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a punchline for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's really difficult. Oh, yeah. This, is, <laughs> this movie is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. There were points in it that I was a little concerned just for the reasons that we've talked about, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a really, as an art piece, it's it's very, like, communicative and effective. Yeah, um, it, it really is. You know, I actually wanted to ask you guys what you thought about this one scene. There's a shot where she is laying out in a bed with her hair spread out kind of the way that you know post-sex scenes are often shot but she's right. covered in you know sort of trash and, right. and bo- empty boxes and empty containers like food containers and she has almost this euphoric look on her face and begins to wrap herself and cocoon herself in mm-hmm. these things and it felt to me like it was kind of trying to communicate two things that one she is being almost overwhelmed by this eating disorder and, you know, this need to binge, but that there was almost a, like a love story there too with it. Yeah. Cause it's moving yeah. underneath her. Did you notice that? Yeah. It like yeah. Think about the trash mm-hmm. compactor yeah. in Star Wars. Like it's kind of undulating. <laughs> yes. <her. laughs> oh yeah. Good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of eating disorders are egocentric. I think is the word meaning yeah. that a lot of folks don't, 
I mean, their eating disorder is serving them in some way and they like having it. A lot of right. them don't right. want to get rid of it because it's protecting them, serving them in some way. Because it's terrifying. Think, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that scene, I had mixed feelings about it because I, I think it does accurately capture what the character and apparently mm -hmm. the writer was feeling. For some reason, though, it gave me, and this is like not a, not a great comparison for a lot of okay. reasons. But if, do you guys ever watch America's Next Top Model or yes. like recall it? It mm -hmm. felt like a photo shoot from yeah. America's yeah, you're Next right. Top you're Model. Totally yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a little no. cheesy that way, and a little like weirdly on the nose and kind of uncomfortable because of it. Yeah. It also reminded me yeah. of American Beauty. Of the cover oh, of the oh my yeah. gosh, the roses yeah. scene. Yeah, very uh -huh. much. So. And I have yeah. seen an image like this, and I did a lot of Googling today and could not find it, but I will put it in the show notes or we can put it somewhere if I can find mm -hmm. it. I have seen an image like that about 10 years ago from a fat activist who took a picture like that, but she's covered in diet books. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know what the image I'm talking about, Caitlin? That she's covered in all these historical diet paperbacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to find it, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, it, it does feel like very magazine spread -y yeah. to me in a sense that like it, it, it gives like a very clear and effective message. But I just for whatever reason, I don't know why, but like my exploitation like feelers were going yeah. off a little bit. I know. Bit. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And yep. it's also like it stands out apart from the rest of the movie really starkly mm -hmm. because it's so glamorous looking in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and everything else was so grounded in reality, even when they're using, you know, interesting lighting or, you know, other kind of camera tricks that that all felt grounded in what this character was experiencing. And this one, you're right, felt much more like a glossy magazine cover. It's it's a little weird. It's also the image that I had on Amazon Prime when I went to go rent it. Yep. Oh, interesting. So that's what I saw and I was like, oh shit. Like I don't I'm a little nervous. Because oh, <laughs> like uh -huh. that was the image chosen. And then one of the first scenes we see is I think like a shot of her back. Um she's yeah. like she's I think she's purging in the shower, which is also extremely common. Mm -hmm. And you see sort of her spine and her shoulder blades, like her scapula. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I was I was really scared we were going to get into a glamorizing right. moment. Uh, unintentionally, yeah. you know. But I, uh, I think since we do have the shot with, like, the hands coming out of the back specifically, like those really grotesque body horror moments, I do feel like it balances it so that it's not – a glamorized thing, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I, I did have moments of like, oh, like, you know, my gut reaction was like, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> right. Know? I think that must be a really hard line to walk in a movie. For know? sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think the movie does it pretty well, but the standalone image of that as an yeah. entry to the movie or being the first thing someone sees is troubling to me. Because I think, yeah. I mean, knowing the history of the writer that she is then subsumed into her eating disorder, which is kind of how I took that. Right, right. Right, that she's kind of snuggling with her eating disorder after, at the end of the mm -hmm. movie. I think that that has real roots in her life, but it, the glamour of that scene is a little troubling. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine it is hard to define that long. Yeah, I, absolutely. I can't imagine trying to make a creative piece about eating disorders that didn't, that, that wasn't, uh, not controversial that's not the right word but like tricky <laughs> yeah sure so 
Yeah, well, even just trying to make the movie beautiful in some way. Right. You know, it's like you're walking that line. Then, like you were saying, of glamorizing it. Well, there were points of this that kind of felt like a music video to me. Mm -hmm. That was like my one sort of large criticism is that I like the pacing of this because it is slow and ambient and it like kind of meanders. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, a style that I tend to enjoy. But I don't know. There were a few moments where... Music plays a huge role in the movie, so I'm not yes. like, surprised that it, that it has those sort of lingering, full song, dancey or otherwise shots. But there are a few moments where I felt like, I don't know, it kind of had music video vibes and maybe mm-hmm. this would have been better as a short. Yeah, I, I actually think it might have really worked well as a short. Because it's not long to begin with. No, but it, it's it could not. Be, I mean, like you could... Some of the more impactful scenes that we're talking about, I mean, we could have concised down right. to those maybe. I, but I don't know. And then the ambient stuff will be taken out. But I, I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. What did you guys think of the very end of this movie? It's the very end where it, she's standing and we see her back and the, it goes silent. Yeah. At the very end. Yeah. I guess I was just wondering what you think of sort of the impact or message of the movie is based Mm -hmm. on how it ends. I was wondering that throughout the movie. Like I was wondering if we were going to get. Yeah. Like a, not a resolution, but sort of a nod towards healing, towards Mm -hmm. recovery, towards treatment. And, and we don't, at least I didn't pick up on one. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. No. And part of that feels realistic to me. I mean, it's a lot of folks that have, issues around food and body stuff it's it doesn't you you can be in recovery but you still are vigilant about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so it's something that you tend to carry with you and that's you know so if they we had had like a a rosy sort of like all better story ending i would have been really bad Um, (laughs) that's fair (laughs) but i i don't know i i guess i had hoped for a slightly more hopeful ending i think it was poignant and uh, you know not unrealistic but i i don't know i i don't know exactly what the message is supposed to be other yeah. than that this is my lived experience and that's okay it doesn't have to have a, a lesson per se but um it's just uh, i don't know it was it was kind of rough sad yeah i i agree that i don't know how it could have ended in a way that gave you some sort of sense that she was moving forward without it, like you were saying, being this overly rosy, cheesy picture of what was happening. But leaving it so kind of open that she – I mean, because we know at that point things are not going well. I mean, she's visited this doctor. She has legitimate health problems that are stemming from this. And so it's really difficult to have the movie end where she's just still in it, you know, in the depths of it. I liked when she was under the bed. Mm, I, yeah, I thought that yes. was kind of a cool, a cool spot. And I thought we might end there where she's still shielding herself maybe yeah. and sort of in the safety of – because she has another power bar under there, right. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would have been – I don't know. Maybe it would have been a confusing place to end. But the end itself was already confusing, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I like that scene, though. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think the the ending is a little bit confusing, especially because you have – isn't it right at the end where you have the scene where she almost has, like, plastic or a sheet kind of draped over mm-hmm. her, too? Mm-hmm. And I guess I wasn't entirely sure what the filmmaker was trying to say with the yeah. last maybe 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of like that it ended in a dark okay. place. Yeah. 
partially because, I mean, what's interesting is reading about the actress process because she clearly in the making of this movie had like a healing experience. Right, right. But the movie ends in this place. One of the things I really appreciate about this movie is that it shows the everydayness of this. Mm-hmm. For her, that this is so such a struggle, but it's also just part of her every day. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that this is one of the only times I've seen an eating disorder in this intensity portrayed as something that's ongoing mm-hmm. and that might last a decade, right? Or something right. yeah, that isn't true. an episodic thing. And I really appreciated that because I think that's pretty realistic. Yeah, like you're saying, it's realistic. It's just as a viewer, it's really tricky. It's hard to to watch that. And, you know, this movie made me think a lot about Swallow, which was another Matilda pick for the zombie yeah. girls. <laughs> it's another I don't know if you've seen that, Caitlin, but it's on my list. It, I am very interested in it because there's some pica, if I'm not. Yes. Yeah. Okay, a lot yeah. of it. Yes. <laughs> it's not as hard of a watch as this. No, Would it's you not. agree with that, Ariel? I, I totally agree with that. And that's the thing going into swallow i had intentionally avoided it for a very long time because i was worried about how it would make me feel and that movie does make you feel intensely uncomfortable at times and anxious in a similar way to to this movie but there's also other stuff happening in swallow around her relationship to her husband and to her father and there is sort of a hopeful ending where she's taking back some control in her life at the end. I don't want to spoil anything. And because of that, because of all of those things, I felt like by the end, I was okay again a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, it was a hard watch and it put me in a weird headspace. But this movie felt a little more crushingly sad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it it felt heavy throughout. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end, it, it certainly felt heavy. Not, and like I said, not in a way that feels unrealistic, but I don't know. The reality of it is very sad. Yeah. And I think because they also show how her relationships have fallen apart, too, mm-hmm. that that's... That makes it hard. I mean, she's already having trouble kind of keeping her job where she's always showing up late and her uniform's dirty and, I don't know, her boss is weird. <laughs> yes. And... <laughs> mm-hmm. He sucks. Yeah. But then, you know, the way her relationships with like, her band members really fall apart is yeah. it's so hard to watch. And, you know, coming into this before talking to you guys, I wasn't sure just how realistic everything they showed in the movie was, but it felt very real to me. You know, like it felt very accurate. And so did that, that, you know, being in the throes of something like that would obviously affect your interactions with other people and your relationships in much the same way that depression or anxiety or other mental health issues can. Mm -hmm. So again, it's very realistic and it feels accurate to what this woman is going through, but it's so hard to watch her kind of pulling away from people and pushing people away at the same time. Yeah. I mean, lots of mental illness is isolating, but I think the shame around food and Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's human to want to eat together, to break bread together, and having extreme isolation in your life in general, but especially around eating, is really hard. Mm-hmm. And you kind of watch her slip further away. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking while watching this movie, especially in that scene in the bar where the woman who was also singing sort of stepped in for her and she had that mm-hmm. sort of uh-huh, jealousy. The and the jealousy. Uh-huh. Yes. The, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. There's a scene where she's eating and Ivy starts kind of taking a bite every time she takes a bite. That scene was 
you know, very tense and anxious feeling. But it really made me think about how many of my own social interactions are around food. You know, how many times I go out to eat with friends or meet friends to eat or, you know, have dinner at my house or whatever. It's all around food or like holidays, you know, is it all centers around a big meal and that, you know, different from other uh, mental health issues that would make so much of just daily life be really difficult and your ability to connect with anybody because so much of our social stuff is surrounding food. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine how hard that would be. You know, I've heard patients say that, and this is obviously a disordered thought to have, and sure. certainly not not a a thought that I would want to share and uh, project. But some of them are like, "I wish I was, I wish I was an alcoholic because I can at least give up alcohol. Like, I, mm, I, yeah. I have to engage with food multiple. I don't times have a, a choice. Day. Yeah, uh-huh. three times, oh, three meals and two snacks right. a day. Yeah, like if you you're know, successful at at you know, combating alcoholism, you could avoid alcohol, but there's no way to actively avoid all food. You, yeah, yeah, you can't oh, cold gosh. turkey your way. Right, out of, right. Yeah, oh, you know. that's so And hard. it can exist in a pretty tough place for years because she doesn't show up, show up drunk to her gig where her bandmates might confront right. her. Right. Yeah. Right. They just yeah. know something's off and she's late and she looks weird. And right. And that is kind of very seductive about eating disorders, too, is you can still have an, a very intense episode of bulimia and then go pick up your kids yeah mm, right and yeah. like be sober to drive your right. car in there yeah. right exactly yeah well and, and the uh if it's okay to do this now i, I did yeah. want to talk a little bit more about bulimia yeah mm-hmm. i would love to um, hear it go for it and most of everything in this was very accurate but i will say that i think a lot of people's understanding of bulimia is that you eat a lot of food and then you throw mm-hmm. it up right it's the grocery store scene Exactly. Yeah. And and there are sometimes what objective is probably not the best word, but objective binges where it's eating to the point of discomfort and an arguably large amount of food more than you want to eat, I guess, and then purging. But sometimes it's a subjective binge and it's like, I just binged. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is the serving size right, of a peanut right. butter and jelly sandwich. Um, so sometimes... I like that they at least showed that. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to bring up that I think that when we think of bulimia, we think of the sort of like after school special of hearing a cheerleader vomiting in the stall next to you at school. And purging by vomiting is a very common way that people Mm -hmm. decide to purge. But there are oftentimes people purge via laxative abuse. And that's something that we see a ton of. Um, So it's not always someone, you're not always going to hear someone throwing up. There's a couple of times when she's, I forget, someone walks in on her when she's like hunched over the toilet and it's like this moment of like, oh my God, like don't don't look at this. But it it doesn't always look like that. Um, We have people that compulsively exercise to Mm -hmm. the point of exhaustion and injury. And that too is a form of purging. We have folks that are diabetic that are able to time their uh, insulin yeah. to pee out a lot of what oh, they I've intake. I've never heard that. Yeah. Wow. So there's, it's a lot more nuanced, I suppose, than I think yeah. a lot of people realize by, by the ways that people purge, by the ways that they perceive a binge. And I don't know, I feel like not that I want bulimia to have its due, but I feel like <laughs> when we see movies that incorporate eating disorders, a lot of them are 
the pure restrictive anorexia mm-hmm. types. Yeah. And I mean, those are certainly harrowing stories and a lot of people suffer with them. But I do appreciate that we saw, we don't often see bulimia in, in media. Mm-hmm. When we see someone with an eating disorder, they're very skeletal and, uh, you know, have sort of the classic anorexia symptoms. And I appreciate that this character has more bulimia symptoms and she also has a lot of the comorbidities that come along with an eating disorder. The the obsessive counting at OCD, yeah. like mm-hmm. there might be some OCD there. There's a lot of anxiety. There's some impulsivity around sex. Like I think that they had a little around alcohol. Able, a little around alcohol yeah. too. Yeah. I like that they're, you know, they showed a, a more sort of complete picture of what that can look like. And at the same time, there's still so much to, to all types of disordered eating, but bulimia included. And um, yeah, so just, you know, if just PSA moment, like, you know, if you're concerned about someone, it's not just that you might see their knuckles bruised from where they're purging, or it might not be right. that you smell the vomit on them. It, it or all the wrappers in their car or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think, Caitlin, you can probably talk about this, that one of the reasons I really appreciated seeing this kind of more mixed picture of restriction and bulimia is that I think so, that's a very common situation where the restriction is actually driving binges, mm-hmm. right? Where your body's like, come on, give me a lot, give me a lot at once. Yeah. Or behind, <laughs> like feed me. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's the, the binge or the sort of restriction binge cycle yes. is that a lot of folks with binge eating disorder, which is a separate diagnosis, will restrict all day and then when their body is sending the natural hunger cues that it should the response is like the pendulum swings very far in the other direction Mm -hmm. well i'm so glad you guys were both here to talk about all of this because it's such it's so much more of a complicated picture than i think i even understood so it's really great to hear all this and i also am just it's really interesting to know that this movie, while it felt accurate, actually was fairly accurate. I know there were a couple of scenes that didn't quite work, but the fact that the people involved in making it, the, you know, the, the writer themselves had this, it's clear that a lot of thought was put into how this was portrayed, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it was very thoughtful. And Ariel, like you said, I'm not sure this is one. I I don't think I'll watch this one again. Mm -hmm. And I would be hesitant to recommend it even to folks that might not be triggered, I suppose, by the content. I don't know. You just, you just, I like, I don't want anyone to learn anything, any tricks or anything. Yeah. That's always a concern. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's impressively done. And it's interesting that so far this year we've had. Well, I guess this is 2021, the wide release, but we have this, we had a banquet, which is eating right. disorder focused, mm-hmm. Arfid in particular. And we talked about hatching last night, mm-hmm. which has yeah. its own sort of touches yeah, of disorder mm-hmm. eating. So it's it's a theme that's kind of permeating women's horror this year. And I appreciate that it, it's getting attention. It's it's interesting. I'm not sure. Uh, we in the treatment world have seen a in just horrific spike in eating really? disorders among all populations. Oh, after I would COVID. imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right, so of it's, course. it's on a lot of people's minds. I don't know if that's possibly why we're seeing it, would make sense. it in media, but yeah. I, you know, I like that we're having these conversations. Mm-hmm. I, the depiction is worrisome, I guess, but it's kind of like, you know, just because there's, 
sex in a movie doesn't mean everyone's going to go out and start having sex. It, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. I don't right. want to make the, like, I don't want to clutch my pearls at it, but I also do <laughs> yeah. want to be cautious, you know? Right. I actually do want to clutch my pearls a little, okay. a little bit of the cultural moment that we're in as people are emerging <laughs> from these couple of years right. of COVID. I feel like there is a kind of thing in the air. Caitlin and Ariel, you can tell me if you feel this. There's something about the panic around minor weight gain during oh, oh yeah, yeah absolutely where everybody's talking about you know getting rid of their covid bodies yes. or whatever mm. and getting ready for summer yeah yeah it's, it's a little bizarre yes and the the amount of body project stuff feels like it's yes. very heightened right now right it's, yeah i saw this um you know when you go to a conference and you have a name tag and under the name tag sometimes there are little like ribbons that you wear mm-hmm. on it like speaker uh-huh. or sponsor I I saw someone tweeted it. They, um, I don't know, one of the ribbons that you could wear under your name badge at this conference was, I lost my COVID-19 <gasps> pounds. Ooh, and yeah. I was like, what's their number? I want to tear them a new asshole. Like, That's fuck that. Awful. Like, that is, luckily someone did report it and the, the conference pulled the ribbons. But it's like, what were you thinking? What kind yeah. of a conference was this? Jeez. That's what I want to know. Even, uh, there are so many issues with, like, the term obesity and sort of our uh, medical understanding right. and cultural yeah. understanding of obesity. But even if the focus of the conference was on weight loss, how problematic, like how so horrifically like just, yeah. oh, and what a like horrendous moral performance. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, sh- I should have said maybe at the be- disclaimer at the beginning, but I use the word fat to describe myself. I'm very comfortable with that word because it feels more neutral. Same. Me. Than yeah. obesity or overweight or that kind of thing. But sometimes people yeah. want to save me from it. I do not recommend using it about someone else without their permission. But sure. yes, it is. Yeah. I use fat and fatty. And in our dance group, we call each other fatty. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah. Richmond group called RVA Fatties. Yeah. That does like a clothing exchange. It's, you know, it, there's fat positivity is, is a pretty integral part of HAYS, which stands for health at every size, <laughs> which is an integral part of eating disorders treatment. So like, yeah, there's... It's just we're in such a weird cultural moment. I think a lot of people are getting therapy for the first time and think they are therapied and yes. are ready to go. Oh, that's out a good and, point. Yeah, yeah, talk about trauma and and I'm glad that we're having these conversations, but I, I don't know. There's still so much to be done. Yes. Yeah, so I right. want to say to everyone, like, no matter what your body is doing right now, it carried you through this pandemic. It carried you through yeah. a global yeah. pandemic. Give it a little break, please. Yeah. Be nice to it. Yeah. No kidding. Jeez. That's, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still a little bit stunned by the ribbons. <laughs> I, 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 That's wild. <laughs> I want to make like one that says like village witch or like, oh, yes. Know, <laughs> or like, tremendously fat or like something like, <laughs> yeah. just something, I don't know. I, I can't imagine placing the order for the printer and being like, this is the ticket. Like, like <laughs> I have a great idea. And then Somebody s- probably thought it was a very clever kind of pun way to say uh, yeah, like, like the, the COVID-19 pounds. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it clearly just is either insensitive or wasn't thinking. Yeah. <laughs> when we were having my 20-year high school reunion, is it mm-hmm. 20 year? they made a website where you could put your picture Okay. And everyone had these, like, I come from a fairly homogenous white upper middle class town. And they had this place where you could put your picture and everyone had this, like, kind of perfect shot. And people were talking about, you know, I think he's gained 15 pounds since high school and that kind oh, of thing. Jesus. And I was like, I kind of want to do a photo shoot 
of myself, like a Kathy cartoon, just in a robe with like 30 cats <laughs> and rollers. That would have been amazing. Like, this is what it is. That is know? such a weird thing to do. The, the really old photo, new photo. Like, I understand where it's coming from because that's kind of the spirit of a reunion to like yeah. come back yeah. together. Like, this is who I was. This is who I am. But I don't know, like, you're not, you were a literal child in high school. You're not supposed to wear the same size pants. No. If you're, like, trying to get into your high school pants, you were a child. Yes. Right. You don't want to wear your children's clothes. Like, yeah, it's, it's been 20 years. So We've all changed, you know. You it's, should. If your normal. body hasn't, you're like, what's going <laughs> yes, on? exactly. <laughs> yes. That's oh, so, man. very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So other than the few things that we've talked about, like that one sort of magazine shoot scene, is there anything else that kind of stood out to you as being something you didn't like, a con for this movie? Just kind of the music video vibes, which no, I love a music video. Sure, sure. I just, uh, I wasn't sure if this was the right vehicle for that vibe. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't a con, but I realized we didn't talk about the St. James Infirmary song. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is about, you know, going down to the morgue and seeing a woman dead in the morgue. Right. And the threat of that song kind of hangs over the whole movie. And that was a piece of musical beat that I really actually appreciated in this. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, like the the tone of it, the bluesiness of it. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I think that was the right choice to have that mm-hmm. be the song yeah. threads throughout. Yeah. Well, some of the music musical choices are interesting, too, because as much as this is you know, classified as a horror movie, there aren't a lot of traditional horror movie elements. So one of the things that it does is use kind of a traditional horror movie score in certain scenes, you know, like like even the wedding cake scene that we talked about, mm-hmm. where there's sort of this horror movie element to it. But there's not a lot of horror in I mean, it's horrifying watching some of these scenes and really hard to watch and really uncomfortable. But I thought that this was going to be more of a horror movie in so much as there was body horror. I thought it was going to be a situation where you're not sure whether the body horror is happening or yeah. it's her or it's happening mm-hmm. psych- just psychologically mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. But I don't think there's ever a moment in this movie where you think it's really happening. You know what I mean? There's none of that tension or push and pull around whether she really is turning into a monster or not. And so for me, I think that's a little bit of a con just because – it set it, there's sort of like a setup to think that it was going in one direction, but it never really does. Where it, it sort of ends up being just kind of a simple metaphor for what she's going through, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just sort of you know we understand that this is her dysmorphia, like literally yes. presenting itself yeah. and physically, visually representative, like on her body. Um, but there, yeah, there's never. Although the body horror was startling, like for me, yeah. especially the one with the hands on the back. Oh yeah, that was but kind like, of shocking. Mm-hmm. Other than, I mean, but since we know it's all metaphorical, there is never an ambiguity about whether this, like, whether her body yeah. really is doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it it wasn't as impactful. I guess I don't yes, know if that's, that's exactly no, Ariel. that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it lost some of its impact and that you know tense feeling around it because. We just, we know for a fact that it's just in her head, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've already kind of said this, but would you guys recommend this movie or not? That's tough. I don't know. I I can't, uh, I'm trying to think like if among colleagues, like if I would want Mm -hmm. them to see this or not, I, 
or among friends, like horror fans. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. imagine a scenario where I'm like, you have to see this. And uh, <laughs> right. I don't know if there is. I, I'm going to lean towards no, and that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate or like it. It's just probably not one that I would encourage people to watch. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Matilda? I'm glad this exists. And I think in specific circumstances where people might say, like, I've never seen this myself reflected on screen. Mm, okay. I think I that I that. would recommend it in that context, but I would recommend that they do something similar to what I did, which is queue up a couple episodes of Maintenance Phase afterwards. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. To kind of detox from it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. This is this is a tough one. This is definitely not a movie that I would give a blanket recommendation for. I think that, you know, this movie makes me excited for what the director is going to do just because there are so many interesting things she's doing with camera angles and lighting and music. But I yeah, I also can't envision myself actually telling somebody to go watch this movie. So I guess listeners do with that what you yeah. will. I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> if you've already watched it and were a little traumatized by it. I hope that this conversation helped you work through some of it as because <laughs> it definitely did for me. <laughs> me too. I mean, it's it's a topic that I'm comfortable with, but it, it was still a movie that made me pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, that's um, you know, that says something both about the art direction and about the topic itself. Right. Yeah. Right. Same. I mean, this is something that I'm very used to talking about, but this one really hit the emotional part of it Mm -hmm. for me. It's a tough watch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think that is going to do it for our review of Shapeless, directed by Samantha Aldana. So before we wrap up, we don't have any listener mail, but we did get a message on Twitter, actually. I don't know if you saw this, Matilda, from Maddie Doe, who is the director of the movie we covered in the last episode, The Long Walk. Mm -hmm. So when we reviewed that, I was telling Rachel about Maddie Doe and sort of her childhood and what had gotten her interested in horror. And one of the things was, you know, watching, like a lot of us have, having a parent introduce us to horror way, way too young. And Rachel asked the question if she also was a VC Andrews reader as a child. (laughs) So Rachel and the VC Andrews, man. I know (laughs) she can't. We're reading one right now, so she can't stop talking about it. (laughs) So this is what she said to us on Twitter. Quote, I did read VC Andrews because the books were always sold at the grocery store and had those awesome covers with the window cutouts, which is something we've always been talking about, (laughs) how iconic (laughs) those covers are. She said, I think those books freaked me out and made me behave like a suspicious asshole in my own family. But there was ballet in some of them. She's a ballet dancer. She said, thank you for watching the film and reviewing it so in-depth. I appreciate the time you guys took to research everything. I bet you would love the special features on the Blu-ray disc because you both appreciate details. Also, cocktail recipes included on the disc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, it was just a nice message to get. And if any of you have any comments about this movie or anything we've covered in the past or questions or whatever, you can email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or you can follow Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at ZG Podcasts, plural. Matilda and I have been spending a lot of time on our Twitter and Instagram, and it's really been fun to put stuff up there, but also to communicate with everybody through DMs and, yeah. and comments. So if you haven't already followed us, uh, do that because we post a lot of funny stuff, but also 
We do updates about when podcasts are coming out and information about what's coming out as far as women directors. And uh, another thing we do is our VOD calendar on the zombiegirls.com website. So Rachel puts that together and it'll tell you everything you need to know about what's coming out on VOD or every streaming platform you can imagine. It's so hard to keep track of. There are way too many, but (laughs) if you're ever in need of a movie and you don't know what to watch or where to find it, go to our VOD page at zombiegirls.com because Rachel catalogs it there. And also every Friday, if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, Rachel picks out three or four movies that she thinks are the most interesting that week for you to check out. So it's a good way to kind of weed through the very, very many horror movies that come out every single week. Also, if you are looking for some new clothing to wear, want a cool t-shirt or a mug or a magnet or whatever, you can... I have the tote bag. I love oh, the tote yay. Bag. I took it to... Uh, speaking of, there's Nita Walks. Nita is the National Eating Disorders mm-hmm. Association. Oh, uh-huh. And I took mine to the my Zombie Girls tote bag. I have like the jumbo-sized one so I can fit a Oh, awesome. <laughs> and I took it to the Nita Walk so that I... You know, it could have scary stuff in it. And this girl was like, oh, my God, what is that? I love the design. I was like, what a great opportunity for the gospel. <laughs> That's so, so we, cool. We had a moment about the the design of the logo, of course. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. A bit, Thank so. you. That's it's awesome. It's a good tote bag, too. Very. It uh, is. I have my own plug it up tote bag, which I very much appreciate. <laughs> I actually took it to a physical therapy appointment last week and got comments on it. Yeah. <laughs> Your logo is such sort of an iconic image. Yeah. You know, it definitely gets a conversation started. So <laughs> Usually people are afraid to ask, but they'll look at it and I'm like, yeah, it's a tampon. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, you can go to our website, zombiegirls.com forward slash merch, and you can buy stuff there. Also, if you love the show and you want to do more to support us, one of the easiest and least expensive ways, aka it doesn't cost anything, is to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. You give us that five-star review on Spotify. It only takes a second to rate us or to write a couple sentence review, but it really helps us get our name out there, get people to see us. So if you're a fan of the show, that's a really, really easy way to help us out a lot. And we'd super appreciate it. Another thing is that we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash zombie girls. And there you will find bonus episodes. Every episode on the network is extended. So that's really fun. We also have a discord that you can join. And uh, we love that. We're on there all the time chatting about horror movies, showing pictures of our cats. If you want to see Matilda's awesome cats all snuggled together on her bed, join our (laughs) Patreon. I don't know if you guys just heard that, but I'm sitting on my bed currently recording and my cat just threw up behind me. So that's fun. Oh, no. It was like perfect timing. I'm talking about Matilda's cats, right, as my cat is being a little chaos. cat was like... I raise you a vomit. (laughs) Right. Oh, boy. Anyways, so yeah, join our Patreon today. Our extended episode, Matilda and I are going to be talking about trauma plots in women-directed horror movies. I read this article in The New Yorker about it, and uh, we're sort of going to use that as a jumping-off point to have a conversation. So join our Patreon, and uh, you'll get to listen to that. At the end of the episode, there's going to be a little teaser for that, so you can listen to the first few minutes and see if it's something that's interesting to you. All right. So before we get to our plans for the next episode, I wanted to give you, Caitlin, a chance to tell our listeners more about you and your shows. Oh, thank you. I uh, So you can find me um, at Plug It Up every week. I have a, a Plug It Up is a show about the monstrous feminine. So looking at 
all kinds of women in horror stuff. <laughs> um, Y'all have guessed it. You guessed it yes. last night on Hatching. That episode should come out tomorrow if I get up early enough to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So by the time um, listeners are hearing this episode, the episode on Hatching will already be out. And if you're, for some crazy reason, not already listening to Plug It Up, which you totally should be, you should it. check it out and go subscribe <laughs> so you can hear us on there too. We had a really good time. Oh, thank you. I loved having y'all on, and and you and Rachel were there previously for yes. the movie that I always forget the name, False Positive. Right, that was right. <laughs> such a fun one because typically on the show we enjoy most of the things that we watch. Yeah, you guys pick great was, movies. <laughs> well, and that that False Positive was one that deserved a little bit of criticism, and I think we gave yes. it its fair. It's fair. I think <laughs> so too. Um, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan touching that speculum will forever be emblazoned on my brain. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> and I love Mamma Mia. So when I'm like, oh, God, come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, plug it up pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to check some stuff out there, I would really like to get some merch going. I am not um, good at graphic design. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out the best way to go about that. But that should hopefully be coming. Yay. I'm so exciting. Yeah. I'm also a co-host of Bloody Good Horror, which comes out every Friday. Um, I took a a brief break to work on some health stuff, but I'll be back starting next week. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, And y'all have guessed it on Bloody Good Horror as well. So it's, it's such a it's fun show. It's so I've been listening to Bloody Good Horror for so many years. So it was a little surreal to actually mm-hmm. be on the show at first. But if you guys aren't listening again, <laughs> it's a really fun show because it's a very it's a very casual conversation. Just sort of friends talking about these horror movies. It's really, really fun. So definitely give it a listen. And Caitlin, I feel like you have changed the show. In some ways, oh. I feel like oh, for no. the better, the, no, for the better, like, yeah, there's something about the way that you talk about horror movies that I think was needed on that show. But also your interactions with the guys on the show is hilarious. Like, I love it so much. The, <laughs> the sort you. of gentle teasing you do mm-hmm. and pushing them when they haven't sort of thought about something in a certain way is chef's kiss. So good. <laughs> Someone has to be the antagonist. Yes. In the <laughs> it's like the best kind of combination of like kindness and a little snark together, which is yep. my favorite flavor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. I, I've been listening for forever and mm-hmm. it's also feels surreal to be on still. And Plug It Up is a bloody good horror production. Yeah. So yeah, it's all part of the family there. We have a, a good time. And then I also do a show called Films at First Sight with my friend Joe Ferry. Mm-hmm. Um, took a little bit of time off of that as well just to to reset my health. Could not stop plugging up. So I kept talking <laughs> along with that. But Joe is just a fantastic co-host. And Films at First Sight is a show where at least one of us is watching a movie for the first time. Um, the last one that I was on was on Deliverance, which is one that I felt like I knew just of cultural and Simpsons references. Sure, right, of, of course. Like, <laughs> dueling banjos. Um, but I hadn't actually ever sat down to watch it. Oh, and, it's so interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, mm. we take a look at some of those that we think we know but maybe don't. Or if you have tastes like Joe, ones that you never thought you'd ever see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what's so great about it is just the two of you introducing each other to different movies. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I made mm-hmm. you watch Mamma Mia. Yes, you like did. It was much. great. Mamma <laughs> Mia so much. But yeah, so yeah, you can find me those spots and it's so good to be here. I always have such a good time with y'all. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. So before we say goodbye, though, our plans for next episode, Rachel will be back for our next episode and she 
told me what she wants us to watch. It's a movie called Lyle, directed by Stuart Thorndike. I love Lyle. You have okay. I was going to ask yes. you because it stars Abby Hoffman, who I know you love now I and love then. Now mm-hmm. and then, yeah. yes, I do. <laughs> I'm a Samantha. I love her. She looks exactly the same. Oh, I know. Wild. It's crazy how little she's yeah. changed. It's nuts. it's a shorter movie, Lyle. I feel like it's like 50 minutes. Maybe, yep. But yep. It's... And uh, listeners of this podcast or any other podcast on the Zombie Girls Network is probably very aware of Rachel's disdain lately for long movies. So <laughs> I feel like Eric that's rubbing something. off on her. I know, right? <laughs> so this one, uh, like I said, is directed by Stuart Thorndike, and it is it was billed actually as a lesbian Rosemary's Baby, which makes me very interested to see it. It is about a character named Leah. Her grief over her toddler's death turns into paranoia when she begins to suspect her neighbors are part of a satanic cult. So you can... Watch this on Shutter. It's available there now, or you can rent it on Amazon for like $3 or other, you know, VOD platforms. And that's what we're going to be doing for our next episode. Oh, so, I'm so excited. I'm excited about that one too. Oh, good, good. Yeah. It, it looks really interesting. So we'll see. And I love her. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying not to say anything because I, I just... I feel like I'll spoil everything. So oh, no. I oh, won't my say gosh. anything. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you should, you should write to, to me or something uh, and let me know and I'll open it once I read it or once I yes. watch it. <laughs> All right. So I just wanted to say again, thank you guys so much for joining me. I honestly was very nervous to do this without Rachel. I have been podcasting with Rachel for like, I don't know, over a decade now. Right, Matilda? Yeah. Haven't we been doing this for yeah, like a decade? Like and, from the beginning. Yeah. So... It, I have been doing this for a long time, which may lead you to believe that I know what I'm doing. I do not. Okay. And I have n- <laughs> I have never done this whole being the real host host of one of these podcasts. So when Rachel was like talking about taking a break, I was like, yes, please do that. But also, ah, anyways. So thank you both for being here to uh, hold my hand through this and to talk about this movie that is so complicated and nuanced and about a topic that I didn't know enough about. And now I really feel like I have a much better understanding. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. You did great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you did fantastic. Oh, thank you both. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Matilda, would you be willing to take us out? Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this discussion about Shapeless. And Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. But really, thank you for having me. What a fun, invaluable. That's not (laughs) what a fun time. Not maybe a fun movie, but a fun time with my friends. I feel more bonded now, though. So yeah, yes, we've been through something together. Yeah, and Ariel, thank you so much for driving the car. Absolutely, thank you. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to my co-host Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly, editing was done by Ariel Missman Rucker, and our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Muir. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly After Dark. It's me, Ariel, and Matilda. We're back. (laughs) So while we took a little break before we started recording this, you know, my cat had thrown up on my bed. I stepped away. I came back to find my dog eating that throw up on my bed. So it's a little bit about pet ownership. (laughs) It's always so funny (laughs) to me because animals can feel like they're so... 
kind of in tuned with you and like emotionally intelligent and they communicate so much and there's so much like bonding and love there that they feel almost like elevated creatures sometimes but then they do things like lick their butt and eat throw up and you're like nope you're just a cross little animal <laughs> yes know? yes did you know that last friday was national hairball day i Looking did not know vomit. that was a thing it was it, apparently it is <laughs> One of my uh, exercise classes, the instructors come in in a different Zoom filter Okay. every Uh day, depending on like if it's National Corn Dog Day. They're like corn dogs Uh all around them. And they had, there was some hairball. (laughs) Wouldn't just put a ball on her head. That's hilarious. Yeah. National Hairball Day. Weird. I mean, (laughs) I just, who would think, who would think to do that, you know? I don't know what the process is around making something a national holiday, but it feels like there would at least be a paper, you know, some paperwork or something. Yeah, you like had to what fill. is the hairball lobbying group? <laughs> right, that's advocating for this. Maybe it's the same people that make jewelry and clothing out of their animals' fur. You know, oh, maybe. Maybe there's some overlap there. <laughs> I have crafted with my cat with my animals' fur. Have you ever crafted with an animal's fur? I have not, but I have seen the books about how you can like knit their fur together to make beads or clothing or whatever. Wait, what did you make? Well, I made um I did felting with oh, it, yes. which is uh-huh. the easiest way. Right. Um, I did a portrait of my orange cat Bezel in the shape of out of his own hair. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Do you still have that? Um, it's on my friend's refrigerator. I made it into a magnet. Um, <laughs> but there was a, picture, a woman at one of like my knitting that. retreats who had uh-huh. like, someone had spun her poodle's hair what? into yarn and she knitted a sweater with it and she showed it to us on Zoom like I'm wearing uh-huh. this sweater. But she's like, it's very hot. <laughs> and apparently it's very heavy. It was like Gross. this beautiful apricot poodle. I mean, oh, when you wow. when you make yarn, you like card it and you clean. Yeah, it, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Apparently, um, interesting. I mean, I, poodles are really yeah, heavy. that makes sense because they have really thick coats and it's very like dense and curly. Mm-hmm. So, but that's interesting that it's heavier than yarn made out of like lamb sheep's wool. Right? Sheep's yeah. wool. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I guess it's not really that different. It just feels strange, like mm-hmm. to think about. And you definitely wouldn't make it out of the hairball or the vomit. No, that's disgusting. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe somebody out there does, but like, please don't do that. <laughs> How fast do you jump out of bed if you can hear your cat vomiting? Oh, so quickly, so quickly. For a where couple you're trying reasons. to like echolocate it, like where yes. are they? When <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, my little cat is the worst because she never throws up anything other than like. This is not, this is gross, but like spittle kind of stuff. Oh, like yeah. it's all just like mucusy. Mm-hmm. Which I have my apartment has dark brown carpets, um, or kind of like I guess not dark brown, but like medium brown carpets, and it's so hard to see. But if I don't find it, then I ended up like sliding through it at a later date. Yeah, <laughs> like I must locate. And my my cat Raja, he likes to puke in his own food bowl, which is like real fun because you have to throw out all the food, you know, and. uh He's on like stupid, expensive prescription food because he's an elderly cat. So oh, that's always not like, good. Why is he do doing it? it his own? Does he want to eat it twice? Is he that kind of a cat? <laughs> no. Then he just sits there and stares at me until I fix the problem for him. Huh? Which is totally cleaning, starting over. Oh yeah, yeah. Washing the food bowl, starting over, new food. Yes. <laughs> I once. <laughs> he's, he's picky. <laughs> I witnessed my old cat 
Ricketts, who was very sick at the time, uh-huh. and he was vomiting, but he was also on his way somewhere. He had the zooms. <laughs> and so he was vomiting and running through it at the same time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's so horrible. It was upsetting. It was kind of like um, if you ever went to the Gravitron at the county oh, fair, that uh-huh. thing that, like... Yes. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone throw up on one of those, but it Where, comes out, goes and sideways, back and it. hits the yes. person next to them. Like... <laughs> So it was awful. like that. It was like hitting as he was like, it would come out from his body and then he'd run into it. <laughs> oh, Ricketts. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure it was not fun as his owner, but. It was a little funny, though. Like he felt okay. Yeah. Which the good okay. news, like he wasn't sick or anything. He was okay, just like, that's good. Totally worked up. But you know. <laughs> Oh, boy. Owning cats is a strange thing. Yeah. All right. So today, guys, we are going to be talking about this article. A couple of weeks ago, I read this New Yorker article called The Case Against the Trauma Plot, and it's by Parul Segal. And I just thought it was really interesting. Now, this article is very long. It's not like I said, it's on you can find it at newyorker.com if you search for that title. Um, It's very long. But one of the things that this article talks about is sort of the trauma plot in movies Mm -hmm. and TV shows. And so that's kind of the jumping off point for today's conversation. I just thought it was an interesting idea kind of critiquing whether we should be having so many trauma plots in movies and why there's such a prevalence all of a sudden. Yeah. So, Matilda, what did you think about this article? 